what a great time of year to be doing those kinds of things. I mean, one of the things I love about this Christmas season is uh, you, you'll go to secular places and you'll hear songs about Jesus being sung in secular places. You'll hear about Jesus, the King, being born and coming to the world to save us, uh, being sung in secular places. You see, many people tend to be more generous during this time of year. There's a, a spirit of, of generosity uh, that, that we, we see and we experience this time of year for many folks. Um, this time of year also tends to be a joyful time of year for so many folks, we get to spend time with family, we get to pull out decorations, we get to go to these fun, festive activities and go see Christmas lights, or as my family did last night, go see the uh, revisited Beth- Bethlehem and, and experience uh, just some really fun graces during this time of year. But but I'm not I'm not gullible and ignorant of the reality that for many people, this is the most painful time of the year. I know that while this is a a joyful time for many and the most wonderful time of the year for many, it's also the most painful time of year for for others because it's a there's a reminder of loved ones that are no longer present. There's a reminder the holidays have uh, amplify and remind us of the broken relationships that we have and and the the loss of loved ones that we have and the loss of hopes and dreams and and maybe health issues that are magnified. There's there's pain that's mixed and and and, and I love that Christmas doesn't ignore that message. While it does bring a message of hope and joy and peace and love, it doesn't ignore our pain. The gospel doesn't ignore our pain. Jesus bore our sorrows and he stepped in to this broken world and he experienced our pain and he bore our pain and he, he is, he promises, he promises to bring us into a world one day when there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more suffering. I'm getting, getting ahead of myself. I'm saving that for the end of the sermon. All right. And so I just want you to know if you're, if you're one of those who are hurting during this time of year, I just want you to know that you're loved, that, that, that we love you, that God loves you, that Emmanuel, God's presence, God is with you. Um, again, I'm getting ahead of myself in the sermon this morning, but, but we have him. We have the greatest gift of his presence and he's enough. And so hopefully this morning as we retell the story of of Christmas. We're going to look at Matthew chapter uh, 1. We're going to look at the very beginning, and I've titled this message, The King Has Come. Okay, we, we call this time of year Advent, and, and many folks in the church don't aren't familiar with Advent if you weren't brought up in a tradition that, that talks about Advent and celebrates Advent and does things like lights Advent candles. Uh, you may not be familiar with it. I wasn't until maybe 12 years ago, right before my wife and I got married, we started celebrating Advent. And, and I think what, what, what I had felt for, for many years is that this time of year tends to be the busiest time of the year for me. Like, and busy with good things. Family and shopping and, and gift giving, those are great things. Celebrations to go to and, and special Christmas episodes to watch and, and all kinds of fun things to engage in, um, this time of year. But, but, but we gotta be careful not to let those good things eclipse the, the reason for the season. They eclipse the, the reason that we're celebrating. And so Advent traditionally throughout, throughout church history has helped the church prepare for Christmas. The, 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 and prepare hearts by, by remembering that Advent, Christmas time is about Jesus coming. Advent means the coming or arrival. Coming or arrival. It's from a, a Latin term. All right. And so there's a number of Christmas passages. There's a number of scriptures in the Bible that talk about Jesus is coming, how he came and why he came and what that means for us. We just spent this, the whole year in the book of Mark and we, we, we studied the life of Jesus and what he did when he came and what he accomplished when he came. But we're going to, again, we're going to look at this familiar passage and I hope, I hope that we can see some things maybe with some fresh eyes or maybe in a different light. My wife mentioned the other, uh, last week that one of the things she enjoys about this time of year is being able to, to look at Christ coming in different, from different angles. Look at, look at the, the, Christ, look at the coming of Jesus at different angles and, and, and what he accomplished and what he did when he came. 
And so we're going to start with Matthew chapter 1. And y'all pardon me if I butcher some of these names here, okay? Aren't you excited when you're in your Bible reading plan? You start a new Bible reading plan and you're like, boom, to, you're right there in the genealogies. Like here's, here's the list, list of names. How many of you, when you come to this portion of scripture or, or the genealogies in the Bible, how many of you just skip on past to the quote good stuff, if you will? Right? You just, okay, I'm going to read something else. Anybody? Anybody else besides me? All right. Now, now we as Christians, we believe that everything's in the Bible purposefully, that it's all inspired by God, and there's a reason it's there, okay? It, it has some value to us. It's relevant to us. This guy, Zerah, has value, that his name being in the Bible has some sort of value today. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today, and I'm going to give you a little bit more than just the genealogy but let's go ahead and read it and let's, and I want you to think, ask yourself, why is this in the Bible? And why have I skipped it over so many years in my Bible reading plan and not, not slowed down to even ask myself, why is this in the Bible? Okay. Here we go. Matthew chapter one, starting in verse one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah was the father of Perez. Sounds like a Latino name, Perez. And Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Emadab, and Emadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salomon, and Salomon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asap. And Asap, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzzah, Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos. Amos, the father of Josiah. Josiah, the father of Jehokiah, and his brothers, in the time of the deportation of the, of, to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jehokiah, the father of Shetil, and Shetil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abedu, and Abedu, the father of Elikim, and Elikim, the father of Azar, and Azar, the father of Zaduk, and Zaduk, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eliezer, 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 the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus was born. Of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to the deportation to Babylon. 14 generations from the deportation to Babylon to Christ. 14 generations. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> and all God's people said, Amen. Alright, that's the first time I've, I've read the genealogy in public. Uh, and I did practice at least once and I totally butchered it. Thank you. I always, pastors need some humble experiences and this is one of my humble experiences. And it's even more humbling that I'm married to a speech pathologist and, and she helps me with my mispronunciations, but not with this one. <laughs> And so here's our big idea, and we're, we're not going to just look at the genealogies, but I do have some points on the genealogies. The birth of Christ was a historical and miraculous event that took place to fulfill God's promise of sending a Messiah King to rescue his people and, etern and eternally reign in their lives. I'll read it one more time. The birth of Christ was a historical and miraculous event that took place to fulfill God's promise of sending a Messiah King to rescue his people and eternally reign in their lives. Amen. All right. So in 2009, those of you who remember when President Barack Obama was nominated, 
there was some controversy over his birth certificate. He was, he's, was born in Honolulu, Hawaii. By the way, fun fact, so was I. Born in Honolulu, Hawaii. And his, his birth certificate was sealed. And so there were many people who didn't want him to be president and, and wanted to see proof. Like, let's see your birth certificate. And it was, I don't know if y'all remember, but it was like this uh, period of time where it's like, where's his birth certificate? Why don't they just show it? What's going on? Right. And so there's these thoughts. Was he born in the U.S.? Cause for to, to be a U.S. president, there's just a few credentials. All right. So according to the article, article two of the U.S. Constitution, a president just simply uh, has to be a natural born citizen of the United States. They got to be at least 35 years old and uh, they have to be a resident of the United States for at least 14 years. And so they the, the credentials needed to be there that he was born in the United States. Right. And so in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is giving some credentials. He's giving some credentials for the Messiah, for the King of the Jews. And he starts with a real simple genealogy. Okay. And in the Bible, there's a number of places that, that God uses, that God uh, has list of genealogies. And so the first question I want to speak to is why is this even in the Bible anyways? Why did Matthew put a family tree, um, in the Bible, has anybody done Ancestry.com, by the way? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've done that. I know my mom's done that. She was like, oh, we got some Chinese in our blood, some Indian in our blood, and Italian in our blood. She just got all excited. I asked her to send me that. I thought maybe I could use that to tie it in with this, but but I'm not going to. Um, so so why did why did Matthew begin to uh, begin with this? So the, the first thing I want to highlight is that it points to God's great redemption story. Okay, when you read some of these names, we're brought into a great grand narrative of what God is doing in the world and has been doing. Okay, and and he goes back to Abraham. Okay, now we also have an account of a genealogy in Luke. Okay, Luke also gives a genealogy, and Matthew and Luke's genealogies are slight, they're a, a bit different. Theologians, um, have, have some different views on why that's the case. Some theologians think that, that Luke was giving a genealogy based on Mary's, uh, lineage, and Matthew based on Joseph's lineage. So that's one of the, the, the it's one of the ways that theologians address that. Um, but nevertheless, we have Matthew giving this genealogy and he starts with, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, two really important figures in the Bible. All right. And you can't help if you know biblical history and the promises that God made to Abraham, you can't help but be reminded of what God said in Genesis chapter 12. He said, I will make a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And, and so, so we're already brought into this big great redemptive narrative where God had this plan to bring blessing to the entire world through the Jewish people, which Abraham was the, is the father of the Jewish people, right? That's where the Jewish roots are, are, are tied back to. And, and Paul says in Galatians that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that he is the one that fulfills and brings that blessing ultimately, the blessing of Abraham, even to the, us who are Gentiles, who are not Jewish. And so, so a, a lot of Jewish people struggled with, with accepting this reality that, that God's plan was, was bigger than just the Jewish people. God had a plan to bless all the families of the world, every tribe, every tongue, a global, not just the national plan, but a global plan to bless the world, to bring God's kingdom and good news of great joy for all peoples. All right? 
And so we're brought into this great narrative. We're also told in Genesis that, that through, through, uh, the seed of the woman, um, that, that, that speaking of, of Christ, he would crush the serpent's heel, or that he would, with, he would crush the serpent's head with his heel. And so we're given some glimpse into somebody who would come and be born into this world and would crush the head of the serpent. Someone who would come and blessing through whom blessing would come to all the families of the world okay so 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 briefly let me let me just read this here's one commentator he says he is the son of abraham both because it is in him that the entire history of israel which had its beginning in abraham attains its goal Okay, And because he is the one through whom God will extend to the nations his blessing of salvation. Just as the title son of Abraham characterizes Jesus as the one in whom the Gentiles will find blessing. So the title son of David characterizes Jesus as the one in whom Israel will find its blessing. So why else did, did Matthew include this genealogy? Why should we slow down and think about this a little more than we, we, we perhaps have already? Because it affirms the historicity and humanity of Christ. Now this is important. Because myths and fairy tales start something like this. Once upon a time in a far, far, far away place. Alright? In other words, here's a made up story, but imagine with me. Alright? And you see, the story of the Bible isn't a fairy tale. It isn't a myth. It isn't a made-up story just to make us feel good and teach us some morals. It's history. It's good news. It's good news how God has worked in history. And when we look at history, we see a lot of brokenness and a lot of darkness and a lot of evil and a lot of sin and a lot of sinners. But yet we also see God working in redemptive history. And we see in the person of Jesus, God steps into time at the fullness of time, as Paul says in Galatians. He stepped into human history and became a human being. And experienced the suffering and the pain and the injustice and the things that cause us to ache and groan and feel pain in this world. And he bore it. As Tim Keller says uh, in his book, I love, I love this. This is one of my favorite Christmas books, uh, Hidden Christmas. He says, Matthew does not begin the story of Jesus' birth by saying once upon a time. That is the way fairy tales and legends and myths and Star Wars began. Once upon a time signals that this, is, that this probably didn't happen or that we don't know if it happened. But it is, it is a beautiful story that teaches so much. But that is not the kind of account Matthew is giving. He says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The means he is grounding. That means he is grounding what Jesus is and does in history. Jesus is not a metaphor. He is real. And this all happened. Okay. So, so that changes everything. That changes how we read the Bible. This really happened. Jesus really stepped in to human History and became one of us and was tempted to sin, but never did. Keller also goes on and he says, the gospel, because it is a true story, means that all the best stories will be proved in the ultimate sense true. That's something to, to chew on. Okay. So why, why did he begin with the genealogy? Because it affirms the historicity and the humanity of Christ. Also because it validates the credentials of Jesus to be the messianic king. Okay? Right? Just like uh, the president of the United States needs to prove that they were born in the United States if they're going to be the president, right? And so one theologian says that the Jews kept extensive genealogies to establish a person's heritage, inheritance, legitimacy, and rights. And Matthew demonstrates Jesus' legal claim to the throne, David, emphasizing Jesus' legal descendant from David to Abraham. While Luke, Luke's genealogical record emphasizes Jesus' biological descent from David to Adam. Okay, so it validates that Jesus is qualified. We get the king's resume, the, the king's credentials. 
here, which are, these are a part of King Jesus, the Messiah's credentials. And then let, next, uh, that, that it displays the faithfulness of God. The genealogy points to the reality that God is faithful to keep his promises. Because God has made promises to his people like Abraham and like David. He's made promises. And Jesus culminates. Jesus, all those promises and the plan of God, God's great redemptive plan, finds its its peak it's, it's peak in Jesus. Jesus, the, the whole Bible points to Jesus. It's all about him. All right? And this genealogy points to him. It's all, it's his genealogy. It's his family tree. And so Matthew wants us to see that Jesus fulfills the prophecies foretold about the Messiah King. Tim Keller says that you may take God at his, God may take his time but he always keeps his word. Now just remember this, that the, the, the New Testament was written when Jesus came, there had been 400 years of silence where God's people hadn't heard from a prophet, didn't have a word from the Lord. There were dry times, if you will, where, where, where it seemed like God wasn't doing anything for 400 years. And so the Jewish people were longing and waiting. And that's why we sing that powerful hymn at Christmas time. Come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. You see that's why the first Sunday of Advent has the theme of hope. Hope and expectation. Longing. Because the Jewish people had been longing for a deliverer. Longing for a king. Longing for someone who would come and lead them well. And bring deliverance for them. Somebody like Moses. Who did in the past. When they were slaves in Egypt. And, and the people of Israel had seen much injustice and oppression. And slavery. But God wasn't through with them, even though they continued to turn their backs on God. God would deliver them and, and God, or they would, they would turn their back on God and, and forsake God for idolatry and worship idols and commit immorality. And then bad things would happen and they would cry out to God and God would deliver them and there was this cycle over and over again. But we see that God is faithful. We see that God is faithful. He's faithful to his promises. And you know what? He's faithful to you personally as well. You can look in the life of Joseph and you can see God's faithfulness and God's providence traced throughout the life of Joseph. Now, if you stop too early in the story in Genesis of Joseph's life, you might not come to the conclusion that God is good and God is faithful to Joseph. But if you read the end of the story, you will, like Joseph, conclude that God is good. And God is faithful. And Joseph declared that by saying to his brothers who sold him into slavery. He was thrown into a pit. He, he was falsely accused and then thrown into prison. But he was faithful. He, 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 he continued, uh, uh, he was, he was there. He was, and, and God was with him. God was faithful. God was with him. God showed him favor. And, and he said this. He said to his brothers when he saw them, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. What you did, you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. And that story right there points us to Jesus. Jesus who was rejected by his own people, who was forsaken, falsely accused, who was imprisoned, he was uh, unjustly uh, tried and, and killed. And it was meant for evil to kill the Son of God, yet it was meant by God for our good. For the good and the salvation of the world. And so we see in the genealogy that God keeps his, his promises. That God is a faithful God. He's been faithful to his people throughout history. And you can trust him to be faithful to you too. Now he may not work according to your plans and your calendar. Rarely does he do so. He usually works outside of our little boxes that we, that we like to create for him. Like, okay, God, here's how you're going to work in 2020. It's the, the year of 2020 vision. Here's what it looks like for me. Uh, here's, here's coronavirus for 2020. God, that did not fit in my plan for 2020. Right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that God was, had evil intentions 
but what God allowed and, and, and brought us through 2020. We had different plans for 2020, didn't we? God had plans to refine us and purify us, humble us, and show us our need for Him. And lastly here, before we'll move on, um, this also, this is probably my favorite part of the genealogy, the, the aspect of why Matthew includes this in the genealogy, this genealogy, because it highlights the grace of God towards sinners. Now I don't know about you, but as you, as you read that, that list there, now most of us aren't too familiar with everybody in this list, right? There's some names there that you haven't, maybe you're not too familiar with, you're not planning to name your child one of those names, those re- really unique names in, in, the, in, in the Bible there. But there's, there's a few that we are familiar with that really stand out. And, and, and those, those are, some of them stand out because they were known for a particular sin. Eugene Peterson says that each of the names is a person who was a, was, um, a specific, each of the names in specific, speaking about the women that are mentioned, each of the names is a person who was a foreign, foreign or immoral or undesirable, yet in spite of this was included in the messianic family tree. Redemptive history is inventive and incorporative. It doesn't make any difference who your mother was. Anyone can get into the family, which is good news for us all. You see, Jesus, his family tree, there was some dysfunction and some brokenness within his family lineage, right? And, and, and so I, and many of us can relate to that. Like, man, I come from, I come from a broken family. And, 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 and some of us may be ashamed. That, that, you know, that we have certain family members like, man, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that I'm related to that person, right? Um, but, but we're, we're all broken too. And so the, the, the genealogy points to the grace of God. The grace of God that God works through broken people and He came to redeem broken people. Now let's just look at a couple of these. Tamar was, was one of them. And she slept with her father-in-law. Rahab was a harlot. Ruth was a Moabite, an outsider to Israel. Bathsheba, okay? She had a child out of wedlock, all right? And, and, and so we see some broken people. We see some sinners, not to mention those who we consider heroes of faith, like Abraham, like he, he, he lied, right? And David, King David, who committed adultery and had Bathsheba's husband, Killed Uriah, one of his mighty men, a noble man who was close to him, one of his, you know, honorable guys, and had him killed. And yet God works through broken people. We see grace for sinners. Don't you need grace? I know I do. As one theologian says, of these four, Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. One Ruth was a Moabite and one Bathsheba, presumably a Hittite. Surely they exemplify the principle of the sovereign grace of God, who not only is able to use the foreign and perhaps even the disreputable, 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 to accomplish his eternal purposes, disreputable, thank you, but even seems to delight in doing so. And he uses, he even uses guys who stutter in the Bible and can't pronounce things right. Like Moses. For his glory. Yes, I do. And I'm, I'm okay with admitting that. His strength fits perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient for us. And we all need it. And we all need to give it to one another. And so we see that God is gracious through this. Uh, I think it's also interesting to point out that women are included in this genealogy. Okay? Because Christianity... Christianity has honored and brought, brought honor and elevated the role of women to, to being treated as people, not just things. And in a day when, when women were treated poorly, we see, we see Christ and we see Christianity pushing back on that injustice 
and that ungodly treatment of women and children and the marginalized. Actually, Christianity in many ways has led in moving towards those who have been marginalized throughout history. The sick, the prisoners, the poor, the orphans, the widows. And we do that because Christ did that. And Christ calls his people to live like that, to love like that, to show grace like that to the outsider. Jesus unashamedly has brought us into his family. I love the passage in Hebrews 2 where it says that he uh, he, he's, he brings many sons to glory. In Hebrews uh, 2.10. Bringing many sons to glory, that that he should make uh, that that, and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering, for he sanctifies and those who for for who he sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Have you ever thought about that? That that Jesus is not ashamed. To have us in his family. He died to bring you and I into his family forever. And so let's briefly look at the king's resume that Matthew outlines here for us. He's the Christ. Christ is the uh, the Greek equivalent to Messiah. The anointed one. That's who Jesus is. He's the anointed one. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He came as a human and lived in history. He took on flesh and blood. He really was a person and he had to become a human being. He had to become a human being so that he could die for the sins of the world. And then we also see in verse 23 that he came as Emmanuel. He came as Emmanuel. J.I. Packer says the Christmas message rests on the staggering fact that the child in the manger was God. Amen. And so let's look at Matthew chapter one, verse 18 and get into the story that you're more familiar with. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And when his mother had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, do not, uh, Joseph, son of David, do not be, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he shall, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name, Jesus. And so in this last this last bit of time that we have here, I want to answer uh, how Jesus came. The question, how did Jesus come and 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 what did he um, how did he come and why did he come? And so first, let me just highlight that he came humbly born as a child into a poor family. He came as a king and yet he was he was he was put in a stable in a manger in a poor family who had to bring, um, when they offered, when they brought an offering to the temple and presented Jesus, they had to offer a, uh, a, a bird, a dove, because that's what the poor would offer, right? And so he came humbly to the earth. He came miraculously. He was born of a virgin. Notice in Matthew 1, 18, that Matthew records that um, that she would be with child from the Holy Spirit. Twice it uses that phrase, verse 18 and verse 20. Now this is miraculous. This is, this is the, the virgin birth, the, the incarnation and, and the virgin birth. And, and, and many stumble at this. Many st- stumble uh, to, to believe that this was possible. In Luke's gospel, we're told with God all things 
are possible. With God, all things are possible. And as we said, the birth of Jesus was a historical event. Like we, we have no problem believing history when we read it from credible sources. But it was also a miraculous event. And as Christians, we accept both. We accept, yes, it was a historical event, but it was a miraculous event. And, and yes, there's mystery to it. And yes, there's wonder. And this time of year during Christmas, it's, 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 it's the time for you and I to come and get a glimpse and look at the virgin birth and look at the incarnation of the Son of God, God becoming a man, the eternal God, and come and peek in to that wonderful mystery and stand in awe and wonder of God and what he has done in coming to us and changing the world and changing us. And Christianity has always had a supernatural element to it from the very beginning. We, and even in the very beginning of the Bible, we see a God who creates things, who creates everything just by simply speaking, right? And so we believe in a God who can do anything. We believe in a God with, with him, nothing will be impossible. And so he came humbly, he came miraculously. And what did Jesus come to do? Verse 21 tells us, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is why he came. This is what he came to do. The name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua and it means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. And even in his name, Jesus, Yeshua, it points to his mission and his purpose for coming into this world as the greatest missionary ever. He came to save sinners. He had a message to proclaim and he had a mission to accomplish by laying his life down. He was born to die. He became killable. And so he came to save us from our sins. He came to save sinners like you and me. He came to save us from the penalty of our sin. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Have you ever wondered why do we have to die anyways? Why is there death in the world? Well, the Bible explains that humanity has rebelled against God from the beginning. And God said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And so death entered into the world. And some of us, and I know my kids have said this more than once, like, gosh, I just, I wish Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit. And just like, man, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, man, it's all their fault. And we got to experience this. And, and yeah, we can, we can say that, but, but, but also what I, what I bring their attention to is, you know what, son, daughter, you've contributed to the mess. You've con contributed to the brokenness to the corruption, to the pollution in this world by the things you've said and the things that you've done. We've all sinned against God. Romans chapter 3. There's not one of us who hasn't fallen short of giving God glory that he's due by not sinning except for Jesus. And that's why he can save us from our sins because he's the spotless lamb of God. And though he was... Though he had a, a family that was marked by, by sinners and broken people, he was born sinless. He never sinned. He never sinned. He, he was born sinless and he lived a sinless life and his life was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. The, he paid the penalty. He took death row for you and for me. And also he came to save us from the power of sin, not just the penalty of sin, as, 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 uh, Phil likes to say, not just one and done and that's it. He also saves us from the power of sin. Okay? We're forgiven. He paid it all. Right? Jesus paid it all. But also, He changes us by His power. The same grace that, 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 that brings salvation. The, the grace of God has appeared. Here's a great, uh, Advent verse. The grace of God, uh, has appeared. Um, to, to men, uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us 
to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly and righteously in this present age. You see, that grace that, that brings salvation, that Jesus brings to us and his laying down his life for us and giving us salvation, not only takes care of the penalty for our sin, but it breaks the power of sin. He, only, he not only forgives us, but he frees us. Now, this, this is an ongoing process for us in, in becoming more and more free and experiencing more and more power to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. But know that you don't have to live the Christian life without that power. And don't try. You'll wear yourself out if you try to live the Christian life without that power that he offers you. And he offers it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And he gives us help when we ask him for help. When we pray. And also Jesus will one day save us from the presence of sin. See right now. No matter how great your church is, no matter how great your family is, you may have a godly, righteous family, a great heritage. You're still going to be in the presence of sin and sinners. There's still going to be some conflict at, at Thanksgiving or, or at Christmas time or, you know, there's still going to be issues because we're sinners and we, and we live around sinful people. And we sin and we contribute. But one day we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. There, there will be no more unrighteousness. It will be a perfect world. A world of perfect love. A world of perfect peace and justice. No more sickness. No more sin. And no more death. I love how the Apostle Paul said. This is a trustworthy saying. Deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. Of whom I am the foremost. So if you can admit that you're a sinner. And that Jesus is the savior. You can experience the grace of God's salvation today. And I personally don't think I, I grow out of my my sinning. As long as I'm here in this body I'm going to blow it. Now I, I believe that as I'm walking with Jesus and following the Holy Spirit. I'm going to sin less by the power of the spirit. But I'm still going to blow it, blow it. I'm not the savior. Jesus is. And I still need the savior. And I will continue to call on the savior and ask the savior for forgiveness. Ask him for help. Ask him for power. Ask him for strength. And you can do that too. As I've said that God forgives sins, not excuses. Now this is offensive. This is offensive to tell anybody that they're a sinner, sinner or imply that like you need somebody to save you because there's something wrong with you. That's offensive to the world. No, I'm a good person. I'm really a good person. You see, religion teaches us that we can be good enough, that we can just improve our lives by changing a few things, starting a few habits, turn over a new leaf. 2022, really, I'm going to do a lot better and I'm going to earn salvation. Right there, there's that's religion teaches that you can work your way up to God. But Christianity teaches us that we can't and that Jesus came to save sinners who are unable to save themselves. And that's good news. That's good news. When you when you look at the genealogy of, of Christ and you see sinners that needed saving. Well, Jesus's life and death atones for their sins and your sins and my sins. Those of us who believe in him. Also, we see that Jesus came to fulfill God's promises. And this took place, verse 22 and 23. It says, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. From This is from uh, Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I'm sure many Jews didn't think that throughout history that this was literal because it, it, it seemed to surprise many. But this was a miraculous thing, as I said earlier, a miraculous, uh, you know, typically that doesn't work. That God naturally, it doesn't work for a virgin to have a child. Right. And so it was miraculous. It was powerful. And it was in fulfillment of what God had promised. And notice what his name is called. 
His name is called Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, as I said earlier, Jesus, the presence of God is the greatest present that we experience at Christmas time. I love the gifts under the tree. I love giving gifts and it's a joy to receive gifts as well. But the greatest present, the greatest gift is Jesus and the presence of God that he brings to you and to me. Jesus came to be with us, Emmanuel. I like how the, the message puts it in John chapter 4, 1, 114. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He dwelt among us. He came to be with us. He got dirty. He got stinky. Yet he never sinned. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. He hung out with broken people. Yet he never sinned. And he came to be with us so that we might be with him forever. He came to bring the presence of God to us. You see, sin separates us from experiencing God's presence. Isaiah 60, or Psalm 66, um, in Isaiah 50, what's it, 59? That your, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Isaiah 59. One. And so we see that Jesus came to be with us. We see that Jesus came to save us. And if you're here today and you haven't experienced Jesus saving you, today's a great day to experience that. You can respond to his invitation to believe in him, to receive him as, as it was read earlier. As many as received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we simply receive the gift of salvation and faith. We receive what Jesus has done for us. And we receive him as king in our life. And lastly, he came to reign as king. Now, this is from John when he's standing before Pilate in John eighteen thirty seven. Then Pilate said to, to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say I, that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so Jesus came to reign as king, to reign as king in your life, to bring the kingdom of God. You see, when Jesus started his ministry in the, in the gospels and in, in Matthew's gospel, he, he starts by preaching. Matthew summarizes his message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is a theme throughout Matthew's gospel. Jesus being the king and the Messiah is a theme throughout Matthew's gospel. And even the presence of God, uh, Emmanuel, we see bookend in, in, in Matthew 1 and Matthew 28, the presence of God. You see, Matthew is setting, setting up the readers for, uh, for some of these themes that he's going to touch on. Uh, in his gospel, at the end of Matthew 28, when, when Jesus commissions his followers to, to go make disciples, teaching them, teaching them uh, what he commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So he promised his presence to go with us. He, he came to bring his kingdom. He came to bring salvation. So let me close with just a couple points of application. One. Trust God to keep his promises by becoming intimately and intimately acquainted with God's ways and word and his person and his promises. Become intimately acquainted with his word and his ways, what he has said and who he is, who he has revealed himself to be in scripture. Study, study the Bible. Study what, what it says about God. Study the names of God and the titles of God, all which point to who he is and what he does. And then be confident that God will, that God can and will use your bloopers and blunders to bring about good to you and others and glory to his name. There's a lot of bloopers and blunders in the Bible. I appreciate that that when when Matthew's giving this uh, resume, so to speak, for the king, 
that he doesn't make it squeaky clean. That he includes some broken sinners who, when, when you hear their name, you're reminded of their blunders, their bloopers, their sins. And Jesus comes and he has no bloopers, no blunders, no sins. But you and I have plenty of them. And if we were to show them up on a screen, we would be embarrassed if they, if they were shown for all to see. And Jesus comes and he covers our sins. He takes away our shame and he takes away our guilt. And he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his grace and his mercy. As one author says that this genealogy in Matthew is dripping with grace and mercy. As you read through some of these names. And so be confident that God can and will use your bloopers for your good. To bring about good. And lastly, recognize that, that you're one of those sinners that Jesus came to save. You're one of those sinners that he came to save and you can rely on him. He came to save you from your sins. He came to set you free. He came to deliver you from the dominion of Satan and sin reigning in your life and bring, he came to bring his kingdom, receive Jesus, receive the reign of King Jesus in your life. Lastly, Call upon him as Lord and receive him as Lord of your life. And when he reigns in your life, his reign will be marked by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. That's what the kingdom of God looks like when he's reigning as king in our lives. And so let me close in praying that very thing for each of us. Heavenly Father, as we look at this familiar passage, hear this story that many of us have heard many times. Would you open our eyes to see the beauty and the goodness there that you want us to see? And would you help us to respond appropriately in a way that would honor you? Thank you for addressing our biggest problem, our biggest need, our greatest pain and struggle.